Welcome to The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. Hello, and thanks for listening to The Next Track. This is episode number 52, which means that it's been a full year since we've been producing this podcast. And so we thought we'd take an episode and highlight some of the more highlightable episodes, do a little retrospective, play a few clips. And Kirk, you wanted to mention the survey. We've got a listener survey we'd appreciate you looking at. So it's been a year now, and we get feedback from listeners. Some listeners write in via our contact form. Some send feedback on Twitter. And we really appreciate all the feedback because you've given us many ideas for show topics. You've let us know which topics you like and which you don't really care for. But we want to go further. And we've set up a survey that you can find on the website. If you go to thenexttrack.com slash survey... In this survey, we're asking what topics you're interested in, what you'd like to hear on the podcast that we haven't covered, what type of music you like listening to. And this will give us a better idea of your interests and help us shape the show going forward as we decide which sorts of topics and which guests to invite. And it shouldn't take you more than a minute or two to fill out the survey. So if you do have some time to spare, once again, the survey is at thenexttrack.com slash survey. There's no prizes, though. No, no prizes this year. Next year's survey. Maybe we'll do a random drawing for something. RCA cables or something. So the first episode of The Next Track was released on May 21st, 2016. It seems like a long time ago, doesn't it? Uh, it kind of does. On the other hand, um, it's become a regular part of my weekly schedule and hopefully that of our listeners. So I suppose it feels more routine like. Yeah, I agree with you. Not that it's become routine because I, I always think it's interesting and fun to do. So the first episode... We were kind of trying to decide what direction the podcast was going to take. Yeah, I think we've mentioned in the past that despite our reputations, we didn't want to do a strictly audio tech podcast. And in the early episodes, we wanted to cover just music in general. So we started out with an episode called Songs to Albums to Songs, where we looked at how music used to be based on songs, on singles and on 78s and, and even individual songs sold on sheet music. How it moved to albums in the LP era and how it's come back to songs now with music streaming. And speaking of streaming, our second episode was all about the differences between streaming and owning your music. And interestingly, preliminary results from the survey we were just talking about indicate that many of our listeners stream and still purchase physical media. Episode three was everything you've ever wanted to know about audiophile formats. We looked at all the different formats, all these abbreviations you see, FLAC and AAC and MP3, and even some less common ones, AFE and WAVE and APE, and we talked about them. So if you ever have any questions about audiophile formats, that's a good episode to listen to. Naturally, there will be links to all these episodes in the show notes. We're not going to go through all 51 episodes. We're going to just pick some of the more interesting ones. Yeah, and I think some of the more interesting ones are those episodes with guests, not just the, as we call them, Doug and Kirk shows. We had our first guest in July, episode number nine, with Will Hermes on discovering new music. Now, Will and I knew each other back in the day when we were teenagers. We used to hang out and listen to music and go to concerts together. And he's now a critic for Rolling Stone and NPR and writes in the New York Times, etc. So it was really interesting to hear what Will had to say about someone who's inundated with new music. We now have everything at our fingertips. The entire history of recorded music, everything is there. But how do you choose? Who are the gatekeepers that you trust? Yeah. I mean, for me using these streaming services, I will you know, very often just go through Tidal new releases or Spotify new releases just to see 
you know, what the current state of pop music is this particular week um, to see who dropped what. And uh, and that's, you know, that's a good way to survey the, you know, the most hyped stuff. We also talked with Will about other sources of discovery, such as magazines, podcasts, music websites. And we also talked a little about his book, Love Goes to Buildings on Fire, which covers the New York music scene in the 1970s. In episode number 15, Sonny Nam, a two-time Grammy Award-nominated mastering engineer, joined us from his fabulous studio in Dartmouth, New Hampshire, to explain what is mastering and remastering. And this was an episode that we found fascinating because while you'll always see the mastering engineer credit on a, on a CD or an LP, what do they do? <laughs> it's a great episode that covers a lot of recording fundamentals. If you haven't heard it yet, I'd give it a listen. As I said earlier, I'm a big fan of classical music. And in episode 18, we had New Yorker music critic Alex Ross, who talked about listening to classical music. I do not listen to a lot of streaming music. Uh, I, I listen to things on YouTube sometimes, and, and I do catch a fair number of live streams uh, yeah. of, of performances, um, whether it's an ensemble streaming its own performance on its website or radio, you know, BBC3, proms, uh, that kind of thing. But I would say more than half the time, you know, 75% of the time, uh, I'm listening to to CDs. Alex Ross is well known, especially for his book called The Rest is Noise, which is about 20th century and later classical music. And it was a fascinating episode. It's one of our longest episodes at 41 minutes because he had so much to say that we just didn't want to stop him. Musician, historian Elijah Wald was our guest on episode number 20. And he talked about the history of the blues and his book Escaping the Delta, Robert Johnson and the Invention of the Blues. He explained that what we think we know about blues music is in many cases wrong and that the way many of these early blues musicians approached the music and the recording of it and the performance of it depended a great deal on the economics of the recording industry even back in the 1930s. Uh, things haven't changed that much. Continuing our exploration of the history of music and in this case one of my favorite bands David Brown came on the show on episode 23 to talk about his book So Many Roads The Life and Times of the Grateful Dead. Now if you listen to this episode, you know I'm a deadhead. David's book is really one of the best books about the history of the dead, and, you know, I've read most of them. So if you like the dead, I think it's really worth listening to this episode. If you don't like the dead, listen to it anyway, because it's really a fascinating story, the, the history of this band. I think we all have a pretty good idea about how pop or rock or jazz or country artists write their songs, but how about the contemporary classical composer? How did they get their work done? Well, we asked Timo Andres to talk about how he works in a two-part interview in episodes 24 and 25. Timo was nominated for the Pulitzer Prize last year. He's a young composer and performer who's very much in demand. In fact, on the day we're recording this episode, I believe he's one of the performers playing Philip Glass's Music in 12 Parts at the Barbican Center in London. It's either today or the week that we're recording this. Timo had a lot of interesting things to say about composing music, about the business of classical music. And if you care about classical music, it's kind of interesting to understand what it's like for a composer and, in his case, performer as well today. Timo was one kind of music professional we wanted to talk to, but we also wanted to find out about composing for film and TV and the stage. So on episode 27, we talked with Paul Englishby, who composes music for several popular British TV shows, as well as for Kirk's local theater group, the Royal Shakespeare Company. Now, the parts I found interesting in this interview 
was when he talked about his process for creating music on a weekly basis for TV, specifically for a show I like called The Musketeers. Gone are the days when you can play uh, the director a piece on the piano and say, imagine there's some violins here and a clarinet. <laughs> Nowadays you have to make a mock-up which sounds pretty much, doesn't leave anything to the imagination essentially. It, it, so you're not going to scare the horses when you get to the orchestral session. Um, so I do mock-ups in Cubase to the picture. So I have, I have a picture running in, in the Cubase and for, and for each cue I'll decide on the tempo and the, the orchestration and, and I'll, I'll, I'll play in the each instrument um, until you have the, a fully kind of orchestrated version of it. Um, what I like to do, I like to do a whole episode or a whole film before anyone hears anything. Uh, so a big pass at it all because I think you can get tied down with individual cues. You might start with a single cue and, and end up having a two-week conversation about this single cue. So I like to sort of say, okay, I'm going to spend a week or two on this and do a quite fairly quick pass at it, which will have the main ideas in and um, the thrust of it, basically, and the, and the shape of it, uh, which is important, I think, uh, for people to hear. In episode 28, mystery author Peter Robinson came on to talk about music in his novels. He's the author of the DCI Banks series of mystery novels, one of the best-selling series here in the UK. He's quite popular in the US. There's a TV series made from his books. And Peter is a longtime music fan who inserts a lot of music into the novels. His character, Alan Banks, is often listening to music. And Peter makes playlists for all of his novels. So you may hear that Banks is listening to a certain album while he's driving down the motorway on his way to some place or he's relaxing at home and he puts on this album and and peter he's been a music fan since back in the day he told us about seeing the grateful dead in 1972 i think the isle of Wight festival so if you like mysteries and you like the way some authors use music in their fiction this is really an interesting episode both of us are are big eno fans and in january eno released reflection which has both a CD version and an app version. The app version takes Eno's generative music composition principles and turns it into a piece of music that you can listen to that never ends. Musician and developer Peter Chilvers, who created the app with Brian Eno, came on the show to discuss this and to discuss generative music in general. I think it's music that keeps generating itself. So whereas conventional compositions might play from a start to a finish, Generative music typically will reassemble itself according to rules, and there's often a quite heavy either chance or circumstantial element to it. Um, it's it's something Western musical notation doesn't really account for very well, the idea of having something in a score that might say, play this now, but if it's dark, don't play this. Play this if you've heard someone else do that. This was a really fascinating episode. I really enjoyed hearing how he went about building this and how generative music works. In February, we had David Saxon to talk about The Revenge of Analog. That's the name of the book he wrote about various analog technologies that are currently experiencing a resurgence. Not only things like vinyl LPs, but also film, moleskin notebooks, board games. It was very interesting to hear his discussion of why he listens to vinyl, although I think Doug and I both agreed that there are so many reasons why we don't want to listen to vinyl that we're just happy the way things are now. And they were cleaning out the basement, and they're like, oh, do you want our old turntable and records? Like, okay, sure, yeah, we'll take it. So we got their old turntable and hooked it up to our stereo, and we got their record collection, and this was not, you know, this was not like the Stax Motown box set. It was like 
lots of Neil Diamond, the complete uh, album collection of Herb Albert and the Tijuana Brass, um, you know, Streisand. I mean, this is like a Jewish suburban record collection. It was, but but you know, even in that, we all of a sudden were drawn to it and listening to the records more. And having it, it really sparked a conversation about the difference between not the sound quality so much, because um, that was so subjective to the stereo and the track and the album, whatever, but the experience. In episode 46, percussionist Colin Curry came on the show to talk about performing and recording Steve Reich's drumming. The Colin Curry group will have performed this in London a week before this episode is released. But they also did a crowdfunding campaign to pay for a recording of this piece. And we talk about that. We talk about what it's like to perform Steve Reich's music, why Steve Reich thinks that Colin Curry's performances of this piece are the best of anyone's. If you like minimalism, Steve Reich's music, you really need to listen to this one. Yeah, well, I think any good Steve Reich piece, any uh, the large-scale works, so drumming and music for 18 musicians would be the, the best examples here. This should be a kind of well-oiled machine and... I think observing it as a listener, that uh, you should be basically watching a kind of organism. So it's made up of, of a collection of people, but everything is working to one end. And uh, we do kind of go for a very streamlined effect in these pieces. Uh, nothing should ever particularly stick out. There's nothing very sudden happens, not not really anyway, maybe once or twice in drumming. but. Um, so everything, everything sort of, everyone's working in this giant tandem, if you like, however many people are involved. So, it, but it's it's interesting to keep these things a bit unpredictable. Um, no two performances can ever possibly be the same. It's, that's unthinkable, and that also gives it that amazing human element and this this thing about it. It's a sort of living, breathing thing that's happening in real time, like an organism. In episode 48, Dave Harrington came on. Now, my son was just so happy that we could get Dave Harrington because my son is the ultimate fan of the band Dark Side, which is a, a two-person band made up of Dave Harrington and Nicholas Jar. They only released one album and an EP, and they're on hiatus now as it is. But Dave now has his Dave Harrington group, and he came on and he talked about music between genres. That was kind of the mission going into the studio, which was that I got a, a group of friends and collaborators, people I'd known for some a really long time, all musicians I had relationships with, many of whom, most of whom had played together. So kind of a sense of community with a few curveballs thrown in the mix. And the idea was simply to record uh, improvisations that I would guide and lead and direct over the course of three days. And I would shift up the groupings and I'd be like, this one, I'm going to play B3 and we'll do vibes and theremin and let's see where that takes us. And then maybe on something else, I'd be like, okay, well that was cool, but now let's bring in you and you and you and like, you take a break, you look tired. And we kind of did that for three days. Because the real cool thing is not only does Dave Harrington's music please my son, who's 26 years old, but Dave Harrington is also a huge fan of the Grateful Dead and Jerry Garcia. So we had a wonderful discussion with him about that. So like I said, I think our most interesting shows are the ones with guests. And we do have some very interesting guests lined up for the future, too. Now, we know a lot of our listeners have home media servers or setups that where they link their computer to their stereos. And we've covered this idea in a number of episodes. Episode 10 last July was about setting up a home media server. And we just took the example of using a Mac Mini as a media server, and we walked through what you'd need to do to do this. I like that. Do to do this, do to do that. You know, this was a good episode because having a, a, a music server was 
an avenue that I've never personally explored. So I actually learned a lot from this episode. Like a lot of the, the tech-oriented episodes that we do, I usually learn something that I didn't know about from before. So along those lines, in episode number 16, we talked about managing and storing digital media files, which is useful if you do use a server or just happen to have a ton of media files. We talked about tagging audio files in episode 29. Tagging is when you add metadata to your files album names and artist names and, and, and all the information you use to find what you want to listen to or to visualize what you're listening to. You might think that tagging sounds like a pretty basic task, but it's really important uh, for digital media especially. Think about it. All the information about an album has to be contained in each of its tracks. There's no thing that's an album. So not only is tagging important so you know what song is what, but it's also good for keeping things in some kind of order. Really important stuff. And then in episode number 39, we talked about storing media on a network-attached storage device. And that's different than a server like the, the Mac Mini Media Server we talked about before. An NAS, network-attached server, is more like a standalone hard drive with the benefits of an operating system. We know a lot of people do use this. So if you keep your music on any one of these types of devices, you'll find these interesting. And you'll probably also want to listen to episode number 47, 10 Ways to Connect Your Computer to Your Stereo where we look at a number of surprising ways. And, Doug, there were many methods here that you didn't even know about. Yeah, for instance, um, Toslink. That was a, a type of plug that um, was adopted by music systems while I was sleeping. I think, you know, for 20 years I was busy raising a family and, and, and worrying about my future and my retirement. And developments like this just sort of passed me by. It's one of the things I like about the show is that, you know, stuff that, that I wasn't paying much attention to over the past 10 or 15 years we can talk about it, and, uh, and, and I can get up to date. Not unlike, I'm sure, a lot of our listeners. And to finish with this whole home audio networking topic, uh, episode 50, just two weeks ago, we welcomed Paul Kafasis of Rogue Amoeba Software to talk about streaming music in your home. He discussed AirPlay, Bluetooth, and Google Cast, and it was really enlightening to learn a bit more about the technical aspects of these different things. Yeah, even though they're all wireless streaming, each one has benefits, drawbacks, depending on the purpose you want to use it for. Very informative uh, episode with Paul, and of course, we love his Rogue Amoeba products, too. Chris Conacher has become a regular guest on the show, and we've had him back several times. He is the founder and chief bottle washer at computeraudiophile.com. In episode number 32, he told us everything you ever wanted to know about DACs, digital analog converters. At a very basic level, think of it as people can only hear analog. Then if you have digital anything and you want to hear it, you need a digital to analog converter. So music from iTunes, any streaming service that's all coming through digital, and somehow you need to turn that into analog sound waves for your ears to hear it. Everyone has DACs all over the house, most likely. The most common DAC probably in the world is in your phone. Everyone's phone is sending a digital signal and your phone is converting it into analog. So there's a DAC in your phone. Even if you're not listening to music, there's a DAC in your phone. Chris joined us again in episode 38 to tell us about his trip to this year's Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. And I also believe he's going to be attending the 2017 High End in Munich that's the uh, trade show mecca for audiophiles. And that's coming up next week, so we hope he'll be able to come and join us again soon to give us a first-hand report on the latest audio gear. In episode 43, 
We had a very interesting conversation in an episode called Streaming Music 2.0 when we were trying to decide what the future of streaming music would look like. Since now all the streaming music services are more or less mature, Chris gave some interesting ideas on what streaming music services could do to be relevant in the future. So another repeat guest we've had is Andy Doe. He's a digital music consultant, a former classical label head, and he set up and managed the classical section of the iTunes Music Store back when it was called the iTunes Music Store, and I believe he worked on that for six years. Andy is relatively outspoken, but he knows an awful lot about recording and playback. We had him on the first time in July for episode number 11 called Audio Myths and Superstitions, and we talked about some of these ideas that people have in audio about cables, whether you need to break in hardware about digital audio. By the way, that was one of our most popular episodes, and we are going to revisit that topic with Andy sometime in the near future. In November, Andy came back for episode number 26, where he answered a bunch of listener questions about audio equipment and technology. And this was the first of what we decided would be a series of episodes called Ask Andy. In each of these episodes, we take two or three or four questions from listeners, and Andy discusses why things work the way they do. If you have any questions for Andy, drop them on our contact page on the website and we'll use them for our next Ask Andy episode, perhaps. We also did two full-length episodes on two topics with Andy uh, that are pretty important if you're a music listener. The first one was episode 21, Everything You've Ever Wanted to Know About Subwoofers. This idea came when Doug and I were having a conversation about subwoofers one day. He had one and I didn't, and we were trying to decide whether it was worth getting a subwoofer. So Andy came on and explained a little about how subwoofers work and a little bit of how to set them up. And typically, a stereo loudspeaker is, is made to represent most of the sounds you can hear. And one of the things that gets missed off in the, the raft of compromises that have to be made to fit your loudspeaker on a bookshelf is the very, very lowest notes. And so a subwoofer is designed to, to fill in that gap and give some weight, some heft, some punch to the bass. Generally, what happens with a loudspeaker is that it will have a, a flat frequency response. That is to say that, that each frequency will be at about the same volume up to and down to a certain a certain frequency and in the case of your speakers the frequency response will rapidly roll off below 65 hertz so a 50 hertz sound will be considerably quieter than a 65 hertz sound and then we had Andy come back in episode number 45 for a fairly large discussion about hi-fi equipment and speaker placement in general. Speaker placement is really important to get the best sound out of your audio system, and Andy cleared up a lot of issues about that. And in last week's episode, number 51, Andy joined us for a discussion on CD versus vinyl. Is one really better than the other? I can hear some of you out there groaning, oh, but yes, vinyl sounds better than CD. Oh, but vinyl sounds terrible. Well, it's not that cut and dried. And, and we discussed some of the objective ways of measuring whether vinyl sounds better. But we also talked about the suggestive aspect of listening to vinyl and how it's more of an event than sometimes listening to CDs or digital music. Every so often, I almost convince myself, I almost talk myself into buying a turntable, but I, I just can't do it. I just, I can't deal with the sound. But I certainly understand how people feel about vinyl because I used to be in love with it too. So uh, you can have both, and both of them have their place. Finally, a lot of you probably know Doug and me because of the work we do about iTunes. I write about iTunes, and Doug writes Apple scripts. 
when we first launched this podcast, we decided this is not an iTunes podcast. We don't want to talk about iTunes. Everyone's going to expect us to talk about iTunes. And we sort of realized over time that people did want to hear more about iTunes. Now, we've certainly discussed it when we talked about streaming music at home, when we talked about using a media server, when we talked about using network-attached storage. We mentioned iTunes. But we've only done, so far, two episodes really specific to iTunes. The first iTunes-centric episode was number 12, where we talked about using Apple Script to help manage and maintain your iTunes library. And I mentioned several of the more useful and popular scripts I have available at my website, dougscripts.com. And we will no doubt be revisiting this topic in the future, too. And then in episode 49 in April, we discussed common misconceptions about iTunes. We get a lot of correspondence from readers, listeners, people who use Doug's software, who read my columns, and a lot of them think things about iTunes that really aren't correct. So we took 30 minutes to talk about this, and we mentioned some very important points that you should understand if you want to use iTunes. But we're not going to tell you here. We actually want you to go back and listen to that episode. iTunes is a database. And there's one more thing at the end of just about every episode, but not this one, which is a sort of a wrap-up episode. Doug and I do a brief segment that we call our next tracks, and we each mention a song or an album that we've been listening to or that we're planning to listen to. Sometimes it's a TV series, sometimes it's a movie, but it's almost always music. You picked a book once. And I even picked a book once. We won't do one for this episode because it doesn't fit in this sort of wrap-up episode. Right. But you might find it interesting. I know a number of listeners have written in to say that they've discovered music that they didn't know about and that they really appreciate that. Yeah, and it's fun to do, too. So this is the end of the first year of the Next Track podcast, and we look forward to coming back with lots of interesting topics and guests and more Next Track selections at the end of each episode. Thank you for listening. This has been The Next Track a podcast about how people listen to music today. You can find show notes and links to some of the things we talked about in this and other episodes at thenexttrack.com. There's also a contact form there you can use to send us comments. If you like the show, we hope you'll subscribe in iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And please think about giving us a review or rating. We'd appreciate that. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs>